0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and you are listening to episode 71 of the show. I'm so glad that you're here today. This is the second part of my conversation with Sarah Jackson from Casa de Paz. And if you haven't listened to part one yet that came out last week, you need to stop what you're doing right now and go listen to that conversation first. I invited Sarah on the show to tell us about her nonprofit organization and also to educate us on what immigration in the US really looks like. We covered a lot of that in part one, so it's important to listen to that first. And today in part two, we're talking more about immigration and why this is an issue that needs our attention, but we're also talking about Sarah's work with Casa de Paz and how we can get involved no matter where we live. I always want my shows to leave listeners with something they can do about an issue, and this one is no different. There are lots of things we can do, starting with just educating ourselves. Sarah has lots of great resources for us today, and don't worry, I've written them all down for you in the show notes. Now you can view those on my website, which is heartfelthippie.com, or by scrolling down on whatever app you're using to listen today. While you're there, don't forget about leaving a rating and a review for the show. Ratings and reviews help more people to find the show because they tell the podcast hosting sites that people like what I'm doing. But did you know that less than 3% of listeners actually take the time to leave a review? How sad is that? Don't be part of the 97%, okay? Leave a review and help me to help others. It's also really helpful if you can take the time to share the show by word of mouth too. So tell your friends about it and send it to people who you think might enjoy it. I'm sure there's a lot of them because this is a topic that we all need to focus some more of our attention on. And, of course, make sure you subscribe to the show so that you know when the next episode is available. And those are all the favors I have to ask of you. So here is part two of my conversation with Sarah. Right. So I, I want to move on to talking about Casa de Paz, but I have one more question. And uh, I, I don't know if this is something you hear a lot. I would imagine so. But what about... What do you say to the people who think that immigrants are really dangerous and and bad for our country or bad for our economy? How do you respond to those kinds of comments?
1: I think we all have the potential to be dangerous and bad for our economy. I mean, let's be honest with it, right? It's uh, it's also, if you, if you actually look into the numbers, immigrants are less likely to commit crimes than people who were born in the United States. So there are hmm. facts and figures and studies that are done by independent groups that, that can confirm that. But that doesn't mean that all immigrants are these like angelic human beings, just like all Amer- you know, people who were born in the United yeah. States are angelic human beings. Like it's just not true, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's also it's interesting to look at the data, right, and to show actually yeah. immigrants are more likely to start their own business and contribute to the economy, and they're far less likely to commit a crime than a native born. So right, well, you
0: know, <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah, and I even just feel like from a common sense standpoint. I wouldn't think that any large portion of immigrants are going through this rigorous process to come here to be, like, drug lords. Like, <laughs> right? I just feel like that would be – if you if that's what you want to do, it would probably be easier to do that in a country that doesn't have a strict of a legal system. So why would you come here to do that? Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about Casa de Paz. You, you've mentioned a little bit kind of like how you started it, but I guess maybe tell us like what your mission started out being and how maybe it's grown or changed over the years. And I know you've said you've hosted thousands of people at, at this point, but when did it even start? When did the house start? Just tell us about the journey.
1: Yeah. So I started Casa de Pods eight years ago um, and originally it was just a I saw that there was no place for immigrants who were detained, uh, if their families were to come in from out of town, uh, there was no place for their families to stay. Yeah. And so I just thought, oh, well, maybe I could just have a, a place for families to stay. So that was the original concept behind the home was a one bedroom apartment that I happened to rent and that families would come and stay with me. And then after that, uh, you know, the guards started to get to know who I was because they would... You know, I'd I'd go over there and I'd meet a family in the lobby and then I'd meet a guard and I'd tell them who I was and what I was doing. And then from there is uh, when I actually, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to read a a small, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'll I'll do it. A small section out of my book. And this is from... Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite chapters. Uh, the title, <laughs> the title is funny. So I wrote the book along with Scott Sawyer and Scott came up with this title chapter, which I think is hilarious because it's true because, you know, in, in that small one bedroom apartment, when people would come and stay in my home, we were sleeping together, like sometimes in the same bed, like if we didn't have room, you know, and I had a big bed and there was a mom who needed a place to sleep. Like I, you know, Hey, yeah, I hang out in my bed, you know? So the title of this chapter is called to sleep with a thousand strangers. Um, and this is actually the very first time that I got a call from a guard at the detention center, letting me know that somebody had been released. Um, and that's where the visitation or the uh, post-release support program was created from. So mm. I'll just uh, start here on chapter seven, uh, page 99. Okay, That moment when a person in detention is released may be the worst gap in the entire U.S. immigration system. It's a crucial moment in a person's life and for our society. If you're a Christian and you remember Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan, This is the scene where you come across the traveler who's been left lying by the side of the road, Hmm. the one who's in desperate need but is bypassed by everyone. That's why I picked up the phone when ICE called. I'm an officer at the detention center, the voice said. We have a young woman here who's about to be released. She has on t-shirt and jeans. It's all she's got. I glanced out the window at the swirling January blizzard. There's no one here to pick her up and no place for her to go, the guard said. Would you be willing to come get her? My heart raced. Sure, I said as calmly as I could manage. Awkwardly, I thanked him for the call and hung up. Wait, what just happened? Ice called me? The warden had probably told him to phone me. I was glad for that. Still, my palms were sweating. I was about to host my first guest from immigrant prison. When I entered the lobby, she sat under the fluorescent lighting in one of the molded plastic chairs. She had a trash bag on her lap. That's what ice gives people who are being released to carry their belongings. Sure. Her dark hair and skin contrasted with the sterile industrial white walls. She said her name was Flor, Spanish for flower. Would you like to come to my home, Flor? I have a coat for you there. Oh my, why didn't I bring a coat for her? Too nervous, I suppose. I offered her mine, but she shook her head. Outside in the swirling storm, Floor didn't flinch. She walked calmly as if there weren't a wild storm tossing flakes through the air like the outdoor blender. Where are you from, I asked. De Guatemala, she said. I had learned from Anton Flores Masonette what life was like in Guatemala. It was one of the world's five most murderous nations. The police there don't pursue 95% of the crimes. That's because they're in league with the gangs that commit the crimes. Life was dangerous for anyone like Flores. Here, now, I thought about what might have happened if Floor had been released alone into the blizzard. She wouldn't even know which way to turn on the sidewalk, and that wouldn't matter because she wouldn't have any place to go and no way to get to her distant relatives in Utah. Not just a serious gap in our immigration system, a deadly gap. I thanked God again for the guard's phone call. Mm. And for me, that. That first experience with Floor uh, was, you know, another reminder that while we may have these, like, great intentions and, oh, I think this is what is needed in our community, like, there are still times where, boom, a nice officer calls you and tells you that somebody's being released and and they need a little bit of help to transition from detention to their family in Utah. Like, what do you do, you know? And, And just being... Being in that, in that space is so important and listening and, and hearing what are the actual needs. And so that's where our post-release support program came uh, into being. And then a little bit while longer, what started happening is that people who stayed at the CASA, whether those were immigrants who had been released or families who were coming in from out of town, they would tell me things like, hey, uh, you know, my husband, we're about to, to leave to go back to, to Texas, you know, my, me and my four kids. Uh, but would you mind going to visit him and just seeing how he's doing? Maybe just like once a week, just drop in and see how he's doing. Or somebody who was released from detention would say, hey, uh, I I made a friend in my pod and they're still locked up, but would you want to go visit them and just see if they're okay and and, and say hi to them? You know, maybe just once a week, right? So that's actually where the visitation program was started was through the ideas of the guests who stayed in the apartment. Um, And now actually... For anyone who's listening, um, and you may think, well, I I can't visit. I don't live close to a detention center. Or I'm worried, right, because we're in the middle of COVID. Um, Well, first of all, we can't actually go in right now during COVID because ICE has suspended all of the in-person visits. Mm -hmm. So we've shifted to do a pen pal program. Oh, okay. So if you're curious, yeah, if you're curious to get involved with the CASA, we have an online training that you can participate in at your own pace. Yeah. And then at the end of it, you can choose which which role you might want to play. Would you like to be a pen pal? Would you like to be a remote volunteer to support the on-site volunteers that are there with folks who are being released? Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to make thank you calls to people who make a financial gift to us? Right, There's a lot of different cool. opportunities for people to get involved in. Yeah. And like you were mentioning earlier, when you have that opportunity to have your eyes opened or to have your horizons expanded and you start understanding the reality, right? It kind of makes you scratch your head and think, is this really the best way that we can do this? And then it starts these creative juices flowing. Well, what if we did this or what if we did that? And, and the pen pile program for me, I think is a, a perfect opportunity to, to get to know somebody in detention, to, to see them on a human level and then to begin a friendship. And I think that's one of the things I'm, really uh, proud to be able to offer this community. And, and we have volunteers now all over the country since we're remote with the Pen Pal program. And we're writing to folks in over in 14 different detention centers, not just here in Colorado, but all across the country. So I would, I know you didn't ask, but I'm putting in a plug for the Pen Pal <laughs> I program. Love it. I think
0: that's so cool. And
1: love one of it. those
0: things that like you know, if it weren't for a pandemic, maybe you wouldn't have had an online volunteer program. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) Exactly.
1: The silver lining.
0: (laughs) Yes, seriously. Wow. Well, that's really awesome. I think it's really cool to hear how the house uh, or the casa started just with being like, oh, okay, people just need a place to stay while they visit their families. And then it's turned into like, wait, we can actually help the people inside too. And then we can help them when they get out of the detention center. Like, I think it's really cool to see how it's evolved to kind of meet the needs that you've seen. Why did you become passionate about the reunification process, especially for families? Like, as you were talking about what the detention centers are like, I can only imagine the mental effects that that would have on an individual, let alone on a family who ends up missing their father for several years or or their mother or whatever it is. So I guess, what have you seen those effects be like for families? And yeah, why did you become passionate about the reunification part?
1: I became passionate about reunification because my family is the most important thing to me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: and I have this immense privilege to be able to be with them whenever I want, wherever right. I want. My right. brother last year was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And at the time, my parents were living in Germany. My dad had a job and they relocated overseas to Germany. But you know, when we found out that my brother got uh, diagnosed with cancer... My mom was literally on the next flight out uh, to be here with him. And that's a privilege that, that uh, not a lot of people have. And, and I want to use my privilege to be able to create a world where more than just, you know, people like me, uh, you know, were born into this privilege that they can experience that, that, that human, what I believe to be a human right as well. And so, um, you know, any time that I imagine a that I know a family is being separated, I imagine what if that was my family, right? And then any time I see a family being reunited, I'm like, what if that was my family, you know? And and that that is what you know, because the days are long and this is emotionally draining. Obviously, you know, you're hearing stories of trauma and knowing that we're there, but we can't fix everything or help everyone, right? It's hard. But at the end of the night, when I put my head on the pillow and I think about the children whose father is in roots to them, he's on the bus, he's almost home, he just got out of prison, our volunteers came alongside, made sure that he had a warm meal, made sure that he had a coat, got him a bus ticket, put him on the bus, you know, he's almost home, like, I get, I literally, sometimes I get so like excited that I can't sleep. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, when is he going to get there? (laughs) A lot of times people will, will send me a message or call me or send me a picture uh, when they're back together with their family. And sometimes I just get too excited. I can't sleep. But I think for me, that's the key is like, the empathy part, right? Like we're all we're yeah. all connected at the end of the day. Okay, maybe they're not my blood family, but they're my human family. Yeah. And and if that's how I would want to be treated, then I, I want to treat other people the way that I want to
0: be treated too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know you guys are loving this conversation with Sarah and learning so much from her, but I have to take a quick second to interrupt and thank a sponsor who is helping to make today's show possible. Today's show is made possible by New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is committed to bringing customers the highest grade organic CBD oil on the market. Their full spectrum oil is made with organic hemp extract and is free from preservatives and pesticides with ingredients that are derived from licensed farms in Colorado only using sustainable farming practices. New Leaf Naturals is committed to helping people live happier and healthier lives with their line of CBD products. Use the link in the show notes to shop New Leaf Naturals today and use the code HIPPIE20 that's H-I-P-P-I-E 20 for 20% off your order. All right, let's get back to the good stuff. And we did earlier discuss the stereotypes around immigrants and things like crime and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think probably something that people still wonder about just because regardless of the fact that you're dealing with immigrants, you're, you're dealing with strangers a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So probably something that a lot of people are wondering is if you ever feel worried about your safety.
1: You know, it's an interesting question because when I first started Casa de Paz, my parents were really concerned for my safety, right? Like, Uh what are you doing? You're going to invite complete strangers into your apartment and you're going to let them stay overnight and you don't know who they are, right? Yeah. Um, And my mom actually made me do a self-defense lesson before I hosted my family, (laughs) um, which now that I look back on that, it's just some naivety, I think, on all of our parts because I actually feel less safe when I'm alone in the home mm-hmm. versus when there's a family or a guest released from the detention center staying with me. I feel sure. safer when I'm with other people, and yeah. and that, that, that has been a surprise to me. Now, I will say that there have been a few times, right? I mean, we've now been open for almost nine years. There have been um, two or three times where just something didn't sit right, you know, with my intuition and and we have sort of a plan B for safety measures in place for when we, whether that's me or another volunteer or just something's a little bit uh, not sitting right, right. We're not going to kick them out of the home. Um, We will provide shelter and all of the accommodations that we provide, but there are things that we will do to provide a little extra safety in situations like that. But it's so few and far Uh
0: between
1: that sometimes I even forget about that until I'm asked a question about it, which is interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you haven't had to use any of your self-defense moves.
1: I, I have it. not. I mean, <laughs> if anything, I probably already forgot them all. <laughs> so, I, I will say, though, that there was one book that my mom had me read, and it was called Safe Passages in City Streets. And two of the techniques that were described in that book were one, you know, if you are feeling a little bit unsafe, whatever situation, I mean, this could be walking from the grocery store to your car, whatever situation you may find yourself in that you feel a little unsafe in, you just are imagining and visualizing these really big, warm, fluffy wings surrounding you. And that's the love of God literally behind you, in front of you, to the right and to the left of you, just protecting you. Uh And then another Uh technique that they use is, to literally say out loud, this is my neighborhood, this is my street, this is my home, nobody comes here and hurts me. And just Uh positive self talk. And those are two techniques that I've learned from that book that I carry on to this day. But normally not around guests with Casa de Paz. Normally, it's like, when I'm walking, like I mentioned earlier at night from the grocery store to my car.
0: Right? Yeah, by yourself. Yeah, totally. So do you live full time at the Casa? Or do you live somewhere else?
1: I actually moved out about a year and a half ago. My brother okay. unfortunately, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and oh, yeah. at the time he was living about an hour away from me. And so I knew that I wanted to be able to spend more time with him. And uh-huh. what I did is I moved halfway between where my brother lived and where the casa is. So I'm about 30 minutes from my brother and 30 minutes from the casa.
0: Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Okay. So Something else that I've just seen in our conversation, and I'm sure other people have picked up on too, is that you are, I feel like you do a really good job of kind of taking in all perspectives of this issue and understanding like where other people come from when talking about like immigration as a political topic or whatever it is so can you tell us you told us about like one experience that you had with a guard but can you tell us kind of what your relationship with the guards have been like and anybody else who you've encountered who's like upholding current immigration policies or anything like that One of
1: the guys who stayed with us after he was released from immigrant detention put it pretty well. He said, you know what, if you take 10 guards at the detention center and you line them up and you split them down the middle, so you've got five guards on the right and five guards on the left, about five of them are going to be fine and decent people. They're just doing their job. They just need a paycheck. This is the job they're doing. They'll treat you with respect and that's it. The other five are going to treat you pretty poorly and disrespectful. And, you know, Mackenzie, there are a lot of stories and cases of abuse in immigrant detention, sexual abuse, physical Mm. abuse, mental abuse, all different Mm -hmm. abuses. And so I think that when I have an opportunity to see some goodness or some kindness in a guard, I appreciate that. And I mean, there was this one time where one of the women that was detained eventually won her asylum and she was so excited to be released. And in the same day, she was also really scared because it was a blizzard outside and she was going to be cold leaving the detention Uh center. She didn't have a coat and the guard who was processing her paperwork to release her noticed that she didn't have a coat and literally gave her the coat off of her own back. And when this Uh woman arrived at the CASA, yeah, I, di- I actually asked her, I was like, oh, my gosh, your coat is really beautiful. Uh, you know, and she said, it's actually not even mine. The guard at the detention center gave it to me. Wow. And I think that, like you mentioned earlier, it can be such a divisive topic. And yeah. I think that if we can try to find some kind of similarity at the end of the day, whether that's the guard realizing that this is a human being who's going to be cold as she walks outside of detention. Yeah. There has to be a starting point there. There has to be, otherwise it's going to be the same old thing that we've been experiencing for decades now, right. Where maybe it gets a little bit better, but then sometimes it gets a little bit worse. And so I think for us, some true change is really going to realize that at the end of the day, we are all human beings and we all want to be treated with dignity and respect. And we deserve that because we're created in the image of God. And that's something that we're just born with, that we didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to do something. That's just who we are as creations of our Heavenly Father.
0: Yeah, totally. Do you feel like, in a sense, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of guards at the detention center that you live by, but... Do you feel like they kind of have have you earned the respect in a way like do you think they appreciate what you do even if they might not view immigration the same way that you do? I think a lot of the guards respect what we do not all of them
1: uh, but a lot of them and yeah. here's how I know because it's not in their job description to give us a call when somebody is being released and a lot of them uh-huh. call us and they'll say hey I'm releasing somebody they don't have anywhere to go will you come pick them up? Yeah. we've also had guards refer people to us who would like someone to come visit them and spend time with them while they're in the detention center oh, because cool. they notice they're being you know they're withdrawing maybe they try to die by suicide or, or something wow. horrendous like that and and the guard notices that and they reach out to us and and sometimes those are things that could actually get them to lose their job right uh, because yeah. it's not technically uh you know a an ordained sort of task that's on their job description, right. but I'm, I'm encouraged when I see people taking risks to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, that is really cool. Okay. So I never like to talk about a topic like this, especially one this big without leaving people with things that they can do to help with a problem. And so first I wanted to ask you. This is something that I read about from you. Now not not everyone listening here is a Christian necessarily, but th- something that you've talked about is how you think the church should handle immigration differently or and I don't even know if differently is the right word cuz it seems like they just need to handle it in general. <laughs> from my perspective, <laughs> we don't see the church doing a whole lot about immigration. But something that you had written was about a comment your friend made about there being more churches than detained immigrants in the U.S. So can you tell us about kind of why that comment was striking to you and what you think the church's response should be to immigration? You know, I remember many, many, many moons ago, I was probably
1: 14 or 15 years old, going to church and hearing that there were more churches in the United States than there were children in the foster care system. And yeah. James one twenty seven tells us that we must take care of the widow and the orphan. And the challenge that day was that if every church, not every family or every individual in a church, just every church in the United States were to adopt one child, we would have no more children in the foster care system. Yeah. And so I think that that's another sort of lens that we can look at as Christians or as people of faith or maybe not even people of faith, but just understand or people who may not believe in a higher being, understanding that, okay, it can feel overwhelming and it can feel scary, but that at the end of the day, i know i'm speaking for myself i have more than i need i have more food than i need i have more space than i need i have more clothes than i need right and so if i can give up some of that if i can one of my favorite phrases is live simply so others can simply live then why not and i remember a pastor also encouraged us to think through right it, when we're starting to feel afraid or nervous or anxious about well we can't let everyone in right well when we think about it that way there's a there's a risk of believing that the god that we believe in is a god of scarcity and not a god of abundance and mm-hmm. i one want to live in the mindset and with the faith that the god that i adore and the god that i love and the God that sometimes I don't understand at all, but I believe the best of, yeah, that that God is a God of abundance. And it's up to us to be able to show that and prove it, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes it does take, like Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step without seeing the latter, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But sometimes that is what it takes. But then we realize, huh, wait a minute. I was able to open up my home for an evening to let someone spend the night who didn't have a place to sleep and, and I'm okay. Right. And
0: we can do this, you know, we can do it together. Yeah, totally. That's really cool. Now, have you seen any churches, like any programs specifically that you think churches are doing well when it does come to immigration? Here in the Denver
1: area, we have a lot of churches that are engaged actively in the immigration conversation. Uh have more churches, I think, that are not engaged in the conversation. But we have more today than we had nine years ago, 10 years ago, when this all first started coming up um, for me to to think about. And so I'm encouraged by that. In particular, we have a really strong coalition called the Denver Metro Sanctuary Coalition. Mm -hmm. So what that might look like is a church decides to open up their property to provide sanctuary for an immigrant who is at risk of being deported. So for example, let's say an uh, immigrant mother of five children has been living in the United States for 30 years. She gets pulled over because she has a crack in her windshield. They find out she's undocumented. Boom, they are going to deport her. Uh-huh. So in, in instead of deporting, And removing herself from her family and being in the United States for 30 years, immigrants have an option if they would like to seek sanctuary in a church. And basically ICE has an agreement with some what they call safe spaces. So a church is one of them. A hospital is another uh, safe space. Schools are another safe space where normally ICE will not enter to, to take somebody to deport them. That has happened before where ICE has gone into churches or schools or hospitals, but typically they're considered safe spaces. Uh So there are quite a few churches here in the Denver area who say, okay, we see you. If we were in your shoes, we would not want to be deported and separated from our children. So we will provide sanctuary. And that church comes alongside and make sure that that person has a place to stay, has food, um, is emotionally supported, um, and whatever other things that they may need as they're fighting their deportation to remain in the United States. And so I think that there are a a lot of churches that are doing good and there is always room to add more church people pastors congregations uh, into that conversation
0: absolutely yeah okay great and what about like on a more personal level or for people who you know are involved in the church what can people do and i would love it if you'd tell us like you know just tangibly like here are some practical things you can do like getting involved with the casa or whatever but then also and I know your organization specifically doesn't do policy work necessarily but if you have any tips for us just like when it does come to voting or like looking at policy just all that kind of stuff what are your recommendations for us
1: I think for me, one of the things that um, I'm always doing personally myself is learning. So educating ourselves on immigration policies, the history of immigration, What is this whole for-profit immigrant detention center thing? Why are folks fleeing from their countries, coming to the United States for safety? What role has the United States played in causing some of that migration? What role does some... Mm things like, you know, just the, the the earth changing and literal chunks of land falling into the ocean and causing yeah. folks to li- not have a home anymore because their home is literally in the ocean, right? Global migration from global yeah. warming. So I think that just learning, right? Taking some time uh-huh. to educate ourselves on what we don't know about, uh, and and I think that's a yeah. lifelong thing, right? And then I I think then maybe the next step, especially as people of faith, like let's look to our scriptures and understand there from a perspective what is our duty as followers of Jesus or as followers of. Mohammed, or whatever the case is, w- yeah. what are our responsibilities? Uh, what 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 is our response? What is the command given to us by the person that we follow? Jesus says it very uh-huh. clearly: When you visited me in prison, when you fed me when I was hungry, when you clothed me when I was naked. Right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. These are things that we can all participate in on a very basic level. Uh, at the yeah. casa, you know, for folks who are in the Denver area, there are opportunities to get involved on site, whether you're bringing a meal or driving somebody from the detention center to the airport so they can catch a flight and get home. There's a lot of things that you can do if you're here locally. And there are also opportunities to get involved if you're not in the Denver area. We actually Uh have a pen pal program. So if you go to our website, you can go through our online volunteer training and then you can be ready to be connected to someone who is in an immigrant detention center and just start a friendship with them that way. Um, to rem- It's just a simple thing that we can do to remind folks that you know they're not forgotten about. We see them, we care about them. If we were in their shoes, we would wanna be treated with kindness as well. And so there are also opportunities to get involved um, across the nation with Casa de Paz. So feel free to check us out online. Um, and then finally with the advocacy piece, I think that there are organizations, uh, not only in the Denver area, but across the country that are doing this work really, really well. And so we don't necessarily want to reinvent the wheel once again. So Uh there are some organizations that I would recommend. One of them is called Freedom for Immigrants, and they're headquartered in California. They do a lot of great work on education and advocacy Then there's another group called Detention Watch Network, and they also Uh do a lot of great policy work and really wanting to hold the lawmakers and the institutions accountable for the way that folks are treated while they're in ICE custody. So, those are two Uh organizations I would recommend to check out.
0: Cool. Okay. Great recommendations. Thank you. And yeah, and I would also say, too, like if you're not in the Denver area, and you are part of a church, like maybe you can look into starting something at your church or whatever. And I just say that because I'm married to someone that works in ministry and like pastors don't need another thing on their to-do list. They need their church members to help them accomplish their to-do list. So I, I say that just saying like, if you are a member of a church, think about how you can become involved and bring your church into this conversation rather than just saying like, I need to tell my pastor to do this or that.
1: Uh, when I lived in Colorado Springs before I took my trip down to the border where immigration yeah. issues were sort of revealed to me for the first time in my life, Yeah, I was working at a church and I was the pastor's assistant. And you're right, o- almost every week somebody would say, hey, I have an idea for this or what about that? And in all seriousness, he would say, that's a great idea. Would you like to lead that effort? Yeah. And most people would say, no, I don't. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. there is always that person who's going to say, yes, absolutely. And and I don't want that to be a barrier or intimidating for anyone who is like, well, okay, I, I yeah, I would be willing to lead, but I don't even know where to start. There's some really fantastic resources, literally describing how can you even try to set up an appointment with somebody who works at an immigrant detention center to see if you could start a visitation program Mm -hmm. there are resources available to support and guide you through that so please do not feel intimidated at all yeah
0: yeah cool yeah and I also loved what you were saying just about like educating yourself and I one thing I was thinking about while we were talking was just like kind of having a global perspective of i think i think as americans we can get so caught up in just what's happening in our country and it's like I don't know if you've done much research on this topic, but when it comes to supporting refugees or like helping immigrants, we are not even close to like being number one on the list. (laughs) Like there are third world countries that have taken in way more refugees than we have. And so I don't know. I just say that to say, like, I think that's another component of educating yourself is getting a little perspective when it comes to like the global take on this issue, because immigration is not just an American issue.
1: Yep, it is a global issue, and we are global citizens, yeah. right? Um, and and our website, if you if you would like to kind of go through our volunteer training, not in the mindset of becoming a volunteer, just to be educated, yeah. feel free to do that as well, because we've got some really good articles and YouTube videos and TED talks that kind of set a really good foundation for you. So feel free to to sign up to you know become a volunteer, quote unquote, just to be able to take the training if you you're interested.
0: Oh cool. Okay, I'll make sure to link that in the show notes for everybody so they can check that out. Okay. Okay, so this might be kind of hard for you to answer. If you had to pick a main message that you want listeners to walk away with today, what would that be?
1: For me, I think it started when I first met someone who was directly impacted by our immigration policies, uh, and that was Augustine down at the Mexico US border who had just been deported from his three children and his wife. Mm-hmm. And I my dad's face in his eyes. I mm. saw my dad. And I just remember thinking, if this was my dad, I would never want him treated like that. And I think it's going to take some time for us to really do some deep introspective work and self-reflection on how would I want to be treated, right? Yeah. And and let's Use that as a basis. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. This isn't a new concept. This has been talked about for decades and centuries yeah. and, you know, for a long time. It's not a groundbreaking thing, right? Yeah. It's thing I think that we can all continue to process through and to meditate on and to pray about. But yeah, be kind. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. The golden rule.
0: Absolutely. Okay, I just have a few fun wrap up questions for you before we let you go. Now, we know you have your own book that you've written. But if you had to pick one, what would you say is the most impactful book that you've read? And that can be one about immigration or about something totally different.
1: One of my favorite books is called Little Bee, and it's interesting because I read it before I even thought about immigration, uh, but it's a story of an African woman who migrates to England and her experience, and it's just one of those books where you think you know what's going to happen, and then you turn the page, and something completely different happens, um, and it's just a really, it's, it's a book that I read almost every year, and I oh, cool. can't put it down.
0: Okay, awesome. What about something that you've listened to recently, like a podcast or documentary or anything like that, that you think everybody should hear?
1: I just finished listening to Brene Brown's podcast with the founders of the Gottman Institute, which is an organization that helps couples in their romantic lives. Um, but I Uh listened to it, not really through that perspective or that lens, just sort of like, how do we set ourselves up for success in any kind of relationship, whether that's with our families or our friends or in our professional relationships. And I Uh highly, highly recommend That it was about an hour and a half long, and I promise it felt like I listened to only for only fifteen minutes. It just it was so engaging and informative and funny, and
0: it was just really, really good. Oh, cool! I've never listened to her podcast, so I'm gonna have to check that out. So good! Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, very cool. And last but not least, what about a brand or a product that you are really liking lately? Well,
1: I have since since I've been in self-isolation now for almost a year. I had a lot of time <laughs> to watch YouTube videos. Um, I somehow got on this kick of skincare. <laughs> and, uh-huh. um, and so I recently have been watching this um, dermatologist on YouTube. Her name's Dr. Dre. Her full name is Andrea. And she really sort of like revolutionized my skincare and I'm spending probably 75% less than I did before watching her and my skin looks a hundred times better. So I would say CeraVe is my, my new brand of skincare that I'm loving and you can buy it in the drugstore. It's affordable and it's oftentimes arguably even better than that really really expensive stuff I used to buy at like Nordstrom's
0: yeah that's so funny because yeah you would think like as you launch into talking about skincare, I would think you're going to recommend something really expensive to us, but <laughs> oh, I <right? laughs> so yeah. to no,
1: recommend
0: something that's going to save you money and give
1: yeah.
0: you better results. And I promise I'm not going <laughs> to tell you this. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, Sarah. Well, this has been super informative. Um, how can people find you if they want to know more about the CASA or get their hands on your book? What's the best way to connect with you?
1: Yeah. Find us on our website. It's www.casadepazcolorado.org. That's C-A-S-A-D-E-P-A-Z colorado.org. We've got all of the links for my book, for our documentary, for our social media pages. It's all there for you to browse through.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. And just for sharing with us, this is a topic that I've always wanted to learn more about. So I was really, really excited about the chance to connect with you and learn from you. And I love the work that you are doing. So thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. Yeah, me too. Sarah's story gets me so fired up. I love to see how she has created this thriving organization all because she saw a practical need that she could meet in someone's life. The work that Casa de Paz is doing is so amazing, and I love that we can be involved no matter where we're at. And like Sarah said, it doesn't have to be with the Casa. It could be with an organization in our area or starting a program at our own church. There are so many ways that we can serve some of the most vulnerable and in need people around us. If you want to check out any of the resources that Sarah recommended, make sure you view the show notes. Once again, you can look at those on my website, heartfelthappy.com, or on whatever app you're currently listening on. Everything Sarah and I referenced is listed there, including the link to shop New Leaf Naturals. And don't forget about using the discount code HIPPY20. And also, don't forget about leaving a rating and a review for the show, sharing the show with friends, and subscribing. Subscribing to the show is easy. All you have to do is click the subscribe button. See? I told you easy. And that way you'll know when my next episode is available next week. We're actually sort of continuing the conversation on immigration in a way. My guests next week are an intercultural couple, one of whom was originally born in Zimbabwe, who are on a mission to help others navigate the nuances of intercultural and interracial relationships. So you don't want to miss that. Subscribe so that you are notified when it is available. And until next time, friends, continue to educate yourself on this vast topic of immigration. Remember the golden rule to treat others how you'd like to be treated and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out.